Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment and place them in the official pop pantheon. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pop Pantheon. We're here again, episode four. Here we go. I have to just say, I am having the most fun doing this podcast and getting to connect with all of you, my fellow pop freaks, and our, to share our weird obsession with pop stars. It just feels like I've found my click and my crew, and I really, really appreciate you all for coming back every episode and being part of this fun weird journey together so thank you again for tuning in and we're just getting started and it's so fucking exciting for me i want to extend a very special welcome to all the new jet friends that came on board the podcast last episode there is nothing more gratifying as a pop fan than connecting over queen carly so welcome to the podcast i hope you're here for the long run and i want to thank Lindsay weber again for being such a wonderful guest last week I also want to thank everybody who was on Instagram with me last Friday talking about who they'd want to see on the podcast. I put a question up for people over at Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram asking who people want to see on the podcast, and it became a real uh, kiki. (laughs) So many funny ideas, so many great ideas, so many ideas that, you know, I think we're going to have to put a pin in Ava Max. But so many great ideas, and I actually compiled them all onto a list. And as I've said before, I you know I ve- I view this whole experiment with this podcast as hitting every single person, even tangentially related to the pop pantheon. So the options are endless, and maybe Ava Max will get her due at some point. But yeah, so I just wanted to thank everybody for doing that. It feels like we're really building a little community here, and that's really exciting for me because a big part of my goal with starting this was to give pop fans like myself a place to call home. So I'm hoping that this is that for people. As I always say at the top of the podcast, if you are enjoying this experience, go over to Apple Podcasts and hit five stars and leave a review. You can say anything you want. I am not going to put any sort of limitations on that. You can drag me for my vocal tics. You can suggest people you want to see on the podcast. You can give me feedback on my nascent audio abilities or whatever, just as long as you leave that review. Because apparently the more action you get on that review page, the more the algorithm shows the podcast to more people. And your help in that regard would be deeply appreciated by me. So that's that on housekeeping. I... I want to say that if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I always like to tell everybody that there's a mini-sode in this feed called What Exactly Is the Pop Pantheon? And it talks all about all the different Pantheon tiers in detail. It is not required, and you will totally get the hang of what we're doing here just by listening. It's completely instinctual. It's not complicated. But if you just want to listen to like how I'm thinking about each of the pop pantheon tiers in detail and sort of all the little criteria I have for each one, you know, every episode of this podcast culminates in me and my guest ranking these artists in the pop pantheon. So it can be fun to just have a clearer sense of all the the minutia, but it's not going to take away from your enjoyment of the podcast to not. I am going to just say very briefly, there are five tiers in the pop pantheon. There's tier one, the icons, tier two, the megastars, tier three, the mere superstars, tier four, the working class pop stars, and tier five, everybody else. 
So that's going to become something that I hope is second nature in the culture of this podcast. And I'm not going to explain it again because I know that most people are now in the flow with me here and kind of get the gist of each one. And when we get to that part of the conversation, usually me and my guests kind of help explain it in the moment anyway. So I'm not going to banter on for too long here. Go check the mini-sode out if you like. Don't if you don't. And let's just get into this week's episode, which is pretty monumental and what I've been scared to touch. But with this guest that I have this week, I felt ready to break down one of the most important people in this pantheon, the queen of pop, Madonna. So, Madonna... Do I even really need to tell you? Madonna is one of, if not the most important pop star of all time. One of the most successful with the greatest cultural longevity, the originator of countless core tropes we associate with pop stardom today, and the template for pretty much every single pop star in some form or fashion that we will ever talk about in this pantheon. There is no pop music as we think of it today without the trail she blazed again and again and again over the last almost four decades. Madonna emerged in the early 80s as a downtown New York party girl with one stated goal, world domination. A dancer who moved to the big city from Michigan to reinvent herself as the ultimate scenester at clubs like Limelight and Danceteria, Madonna's self-titled debut album was released in 1983 and was a sensation, making Madonna an instant star and featuring a veritable murderer's row of indelible early 80s staples like Borderline, Lucky Star, Burning Up, and Holiday. record though that was just a prelude setting madonna up for an unparalleled run through the 1980s with each subsequent album in that decade like a virgin true blue like a prayer moving her from superstar to supernova to bona fide icon the smashes in this era were seemingly endless and are too many frankly to even list in one breath Material Girl, Into the Groove, Dress You Up, Live to Tell, Papa Don't Preach, Open Your Heart, La Isla Bonita, Like a Prayer, Express Yourself, Cherish, Vogue, just to name a few. These records not only represent one of the great discographies in pop history, but are now bigger than songs. They're part of Americana, like The Model T or Apple Pie, stitches in the fabric of popular culture in a style that, in some ways, is even bigger than the artist herself. All of this, not to mention her style, the music videos, the choreography, the blasphemy, the famous love affairs, the endless quotables, the tours, and of course, the infamous performance in the wedding dress on the VMAs, which essentially created the modern televised musical performance. The point here is, Madonna didn't just dominate popular music in the 1980s, Madonna was the 1980s. Come on, girls! You believe- initial period, Madonna went through a bit of a rough patch commercially in the early 90s. Albums like 1991's extraordinarily controversial Erotica and its softer counterpoint, 1994's R&B-leaning Bedtime Stories, were both reasonably successful albums by almost any artist's standards. They featured top 10 hits and sold millions of units, and Erotica in particular is now considered to be an artistic peak for Madonna. But they were somewhat less culturally saturating than Madonna's imperial 80s highs, and it would have been reasonable to believe that, after more than 10 years of relevance, a lifetime in the fickle world of pop music, Madonna might have been on her way to being a legacy act. Shit on me. It's 
But as she has so often in her career, Madonna shattered all expectations with her 1998 album Ray of Light, a complete sonic and lyrical overhaul that found Madonna collaborating with little-known electronica producer William Orbit to create both her most brutally personal and expansive work to date. Ray of Light became a smash, her first album to be nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys, and one of the great pop reinventions of all time. It proved that a then 40-year-old Madonna could still shock and thrill pop music fans, all while dealing with themes of motherhood and spirituality, not exactly normal pop radio fodder. It also solidified that she could still have massive career-high hits, like the title track and Frozen, nestled atop the Hot 100 next to the pop girls her success had paved the way for, and who were, in some instances, 25 years her junior. Light was the type of career-altering comeback that unlocked another decade or so of pop music centrality and success for the then middle-aged legend. Albums like 2000's Music and 2005's Confessions on a Dance Floor found Madonna still able to toss off relevant hit music at a time when most of her 80s peers were almost 20 years removed from their last dalliance with relevance. It was one of the great second, or maybe third, or fourth acts in popular music of all time. It also meant that by the time she released Four Minutes, her last top 10 hit in 2008, Madonna had been making hit records for almost 25 years, a feat pretty much unheard of in pop history, especially for a woman in an extremely sexist, ageist industry. I mean, Hung Up is possibly her best single, who does that almost a quarter of a century into the most illustrious career in pop? Madonna, that's who. Recently though, Madonna's career has been in a bit of a tailspin for reasons that are both hard to explain and also totally reasonable. I mean, there are rules of gravity that apply even to the most royal of pop stars. Following 2008's Hard Candy, albums like 2012's MDNA and 2015's Rebel Heart have shown diminishing returns both in terms of artistic value and commercial success, often finding the queen of pop chasing the trends she used to set and struggling to find her musical center after no longer being the center of pop that she was for so many years. Pop still is, after all, a young person's game. Most stars have had to discover this decades earlier than Madonna ever had to. But she's struggled mightily in the last 15 years to isolate who she is as an artist when she's not defining the genre. None of that, though, diminishes her legacy as perhaps the greatest pop star of all time. With sales of over 300 million records worldwide, Madonna is certified as the best-selling female recording artist of all time by Guinness World Records. She is the most successful solo artist in the history of the Billboard Hot 100 and holds the record for the most number one singles by a female artist in Australia, Canada, Italy, Spain, and the UK. Madonna is tied for the most top 10 singles in the US ever with 38 entries, and with revenue of $1.5 billion in concert tickets, she remains the highest grossing solo touring artist of all time. Madonna was also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2008 during her first year of eligibility. Here with me today to discuss Madonna is Jezebel senior writer Rich Juzwiak. And our conversation is a little bit different than some of the others that we've had on this podcast so far. Madonna's career is so massive and picking through her discography with a fine tooth comb could honestly be its entire own podcast. And I'm putting a pin in that because I would very much like to do that podcast. And also so much of her story is like American folklore at this point and second nature to so many of us. So I didn't want to be redundant or quote unquote reductive as the queen might say. So instead of doing that, Rich and I, who are both diehard Madonna fans, who have both struggled mightily watching her lose some of her magic recently, spent most of this conversation breaking 
down what's gone wrong for Madonna over the last decade and a half of her career. Rich is such a sharp thinker and writer about pop and about Madonna, and I really, really loved getting to yak with him about the Queen of Pop and her recent fall from grace. So without further ado, here is my chat with Rich Juswiak. Okay, so I'm here with Rich Juswiak, senior writer at Jezebel and host of the podcast Pot Psychology. Welcome to the podcast, Rich. So happy you're here. Thank you for having me, Louie. I am super honored to have you here. You're one of my all-time favorite writers, so... This is a big Thank moment for me. Thank you for, for saying me. that. It's true. The honor, is for, the honor is mine. So we're here today to talk about a pretty big topic in the context of the pop pantheon, which is Madonna. And she casts a pretty big shadow over pretty much every single person that we talk about on this podcast. And I grappled with like how to structure this conversation because I just felt like if we started going off about every single Madonna album one by one, we could be here for 35 hours. So instead of that, I sort of wanted to focus our conversation a little bit on a topic I know both of us are very interested in, which is Madonna's career over the last 15 years, which has been an interesting and somewhat sudden slide from relevance, slide from sort of her formerly seemingly unbreakable core vice grip on pop music that she held on to for 25 years and that seemingly evaporated overnight. And I, uh, you know, I, I couldn't think of anyone that I'd want to discuss that whole thing with more. So just to kind of get us started here, both of us wrote about Madame X, Madonna's most yes. recent record. And we both... Yes. Um, received quite a bit of backlash online and via email. I know that I got some death threats on Twitter and I know you got lambasted for your review of Madame X as well. And I mean, look, the thing here is I love Madonna so much. She is the reason I'm obsessed with pop music. She is everything to me. So my disappointment in some of her recent work only speaks to how much I love her. And I went into it with an open heart. Yeah, me too. And, you know, and that was to to me, like, I, I, I don't want to lean so hard on this review that's like two years ago although people still do come on my instagram telling me to re-review it or like to take down the review it's it's like i i just find it so bizarre that like i mean the reason that i don't like that record is because i'm fully aware of madonna's capacity to make a good record and it's just so strange to me that she has these fans who like this is their hill that they're willing to die on it's like Madame X? Bitch, they're too old to be doing this too. It's like, I expect this. I from know. The, I expect this from the Swifties. You know, like I'm ready exactly. for Exactly. <laughs> it's like, are you 50? Because I think that they're like either 50 or Brazilian. <laughs> yeah. they seem to, there seem to be like a lot of young Brazilian people who really like Madonna still. But like, otherwise, it's just like to care this much about this woman, you had to have been there for the 80s. So you're at least knocking on 40s door, if not already there and through it. So what is going on? in your life that like you really think it's it's completely mind-boggling to me i don't get it either i you know the way that i opened that review was thinking about how much how difficult it must be to be madonna at this point i feel like i have compassion for her but but also like the stupidest thing and i think like probably part of the shock that people experienced when they read what we wrote is that there's this convention with modern criticism that's like standing it's just an extension of standing Exactly. You can't say anything bad. And like, and and then so what? So like, wait, I'm supposed to give Madonna a pass because she's like, what sense does that make? Like, Madonna's fine. (laughs) She's got $500 million at least. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that like a review is an act of love. Like no one has put as much thought into it as you did with that review. And your disappointment only speaks to how much you actually do give a fuck about her. Exactly. But I want to just talk about Madame X is the culmination of an entire era of Madonna completely losing the thread and it's it's, fumbling which is fascinating because for 25 years up until hung up or i guess some could argue up until the justin timberlake record madonna was making relevant hit music 
for 25 fucking years. I mean, that is fucking insane. There are so few people that you can count in pop music that were making hit songs for 25 years. So she deserves every plaudit she has ever, ever gotten for that fact alone. I mean, let alone the rest of it and all the other major contributions she made. That is an achievement. And to me, it was almost like she lost the thread overnight. And I've spent so much time trying to understand where things began to unravel for her so fast. There was such a journey that we were on with her from the first record through Confessions on a Dance Floor. And it all made sense. We were on a journey that was of a piece. All of a sudden, between that record and Hard Candy, to me, is where things really started to unravel. And I'm curious, like, if you have any insight into, if you agree, first of all, and if you have any insight into what happened between Confessions on a Dance Floor, which was in 2005, the record she made with Stuart Price that features Hung Up and Sorry, and a lot of her last great hits, and Hard Candy, which was came out in 2008, which was kind of this record where she, like, worked with Timberland and Pharrell sort of past their prime and made almost like a Nelly Furtado album. What, so what happened? What, what? went on there i don't really know and i should also like uh, my caveat is that like i actually do like hard candy i know that so many people hate it but i you know it's a weird sounding record it's like and also like i think that like pharrell's work in particular was really ahead of its time because he recreated that sound with miley cyrus on bangers to much more acclaim and most famously and ariana's album too and blow by beyonce is basically a hard candy song she's not me she doesn't have So like, so I don't know. I I, I don't mean, I I guess I don't mean to diss Hard Candy, but I see. No, but so many people hate that record. Like so many people who say, I love Madonna. I hate Hard Candy. Right, right. I guess it's just that I see it as the beginning of something. Confessions, for instance, just being as, as a counterpoint to Hard Candy, continued A, her tradition of like pulling an underground producer to the foreground. That was like a very yeah. important part of the Madonna project for many years, Stuart Price. And kind of, and by the way, kind of running through those producers, very rarely did a producer work with Madonna and then like go on to do something else great. And it kind of like, that's kind of like a career ender in a way. But also a weird. testament to her power because it, it to, is. To what and to what she was bringing to the table. It's like whether they could never talk. Right, it it's like whether that. you're talking about Stephen Bray or you're talking about um, uh, Chef Pettibone or you're talking about Dave Hall, Dave Hall, William Orbit, Mirwa, you know, whatever. It's. So that was confession. I think that was sort of the one of the jarring tenants that I sort of see between confessions and hard candy, which is that she went from that sort of like tried and true Madonna tradition to kind of making a record with two producers that were like the biggest in the game at that time. And you can really hear them on that album. That was not them bending to Madonna's will. It was at, in generously a co co-creation and to me i felt like it was the first time where i heard madonna songs and i was like oh i could hear nelly furtado making this song i could hear gwen stefani making this song and i guess that's the reason yes. that i pinpoint hard candy as an inflection point in this journey right i i, I you know i i guess it there's something to be said for like the jig being up in a way where it was just like probably with hard candy it wasn't strong enough of a of a collection to sort of justify itself and so it felt like for the first time she's hardcore clout chasing even though madonna had an established pattern of like of cloud chasing yeah of, of 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 kind of like you know when she worked with massive attack blue lines had already like blown people's mind already years before that you know she she gets with nelly hooper who had incredible success with soul to soul and bjork uh, Dave Hall, another great example, made probably the most influential record of the early 90s, at least, 
Mary J. Blige's What's the 411. Right. I guess I guess bedtime stories between, you know, Dave Hall and, and Dallas Austin was another time she worked with a Dallas Austin, producers. exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. Very much so. But there's so many songs on all of those records that are like, no matter what you think of Madonna, you can't deny the fucking tune. Yeah, yeah. I guess it would be cool here to just put a, a little example of what Madonna was doing in 1994 on Bedtime Stories, which, as we were just sort of getting to, was another time before Hard Candy where Madonna broke with her sort of general trend of working with underground producers and worked with very hot producers of the moment, making it a bit of a precursor to Hard Candy in terms of also engaging with hip-hop and R&B actively in a way she hadn't before, in a way she also does on Hard Candy, but I think to more indelible results. Happiness lies in your own hand It took me much too long to understand Time Stories also notably another moment in her career similar to where she was in 2008 with Hard Candy where she really very much needed a hit. So interesting parallel there too in terms of who she was working with going to the established hit makers. But a major point here being that Bedtime Stories delivered on an artistic front and you couldn't really deny. And I think Hard Candy, you could deny the tunes or people could deny the tunes. And so that's just, she's kind of like, only as strong as it, it's weird because it, it the the hits are a self-perpetuating sort of thing in a way and so it's like if madonna ceases to make hits then kind of madonna ceases to exist you know yeah and i sort of feel like almost more importantly like that's how she seems to feel yeah and i think and, and i think it speaks to there's just something about her that like the magic is just her ability to kind of show and not tell. I think that's why a lot of when she like dissects her music in interviews, it falls flat because it's just like, you're just so much better at just doing it. And that's the genius of, it. and it's like, Oh, like express yourself says so much about like feminism in the late eighties in general, but like certainly pop feminism, it kind of like defined it for pop music. Right. So, And it's like, you don't need a dissertation on that. So it's just like her hard candy. She kind of lost the ability to kind of like speak on that vibration. Right. But it it was a weird, it was just a weird choice to me because as we were speaking about with bedtime stories, it was like she was coming off of the controversy of erotica and she really did need a hit. But coming into hard candy, she actually was coming off of confessions, which was like a very successful album, especially, you know, in comparison to American life, which had come before that. So that's always been a point of confusion for me when it comes to hard candy is like what was the deal with that choice you know she must have felt on some level that she needed them to get herself back into the center of things and again i can only speculate but since this is my podcast i'm going to speculate (laughs) she must have felt like she had to do it she felt like in order to sort of recenter herself in the greater pop music narrative she needed a hit and that was who you went to for a hit at that time and so she got Timberland. She got Justin Timberlake to feature on her lead single from that album, the hottest pop star in the game at that time. And she gave herself the greatest chance at a hit. Yeah, also keep also keep in mind like like confessions undoubtedly a hit uh hung up is was i mean like just like the biggest song in the world and one, one of, of the biggest best. songs in the world of all time i i agree like my uh, top two for me yes. hung up um but it wasn't very popular in america hung up went top 10 in america based on sales alone basically radio wasn't playing it so you can look at confessions as uh, a, a total hit, what would she possibly have to complain about? But if you look at it through the narrow scope of American radio and pop music, right. she probably was desperate to get back on. It was certainly a hit comparable to American Life, which came before it, which was a genuine miss. 
flop. Right. Yes. But but all uh, but I also think J- American Life is underrated and like it has like the one of the best strings of songs I think that she's ever put on an album. Right. So um a uh, supremely odd album, but in a good way. It is an odd album, but again, I mean like yeah, like we won't call American Life a, a reinvention per se, but again, a total sonic sonic visual uh, messaging idea that she had, you know? I mean, I, I think probably very few albums are as consistently sonically as American Life because even Erotica has those kind of flabby ballads at the end where it's like, mm-hmm. God, if you took off like In This Life and Why Is It So Hard, this would be like Perfect. your best, it would be like one of the best records. Like Erotica just needs a little bit of an edit, I think, to be like an absolute uh, unmissable classic. So many but, um, albums are that yeah. way. But, <laughs> So, yes, I know. Um, luckily, we can, you know. We can make our own Spotify little playlist. Exactly. But, yeah, about. but but I mean, it's a good question. If we are speculating, I think that maybe she was viewing her career through the scope of America, as many people do. And despite Confessions, global success and artistic success. I mean, she that is an, that album's a vision as well. Great tour. Um, she wanted more. Yeah, great. Yeah, she exactly. Could, I mean, she like, could that, not let go of the, like... It, she, my feeling is, again, I don't fucking know her, so I don't know, but my feeling is that her identity is so wrapped around being the center of the pop universe. And I think that when she felt that kind of her grip loosening, and I mean, I guess the funny thing about that is that Hard Candy really was just the beginning of a tumble, you know? Right. I mean, have you liked yes. any of those records? Have you liked? Do, do you have I anything? Like MDNA, okay. Really? Uh, uh, oh yeah, my yeah, God! Rich like, coming to like... bat for MDNA. <laughs> Just to clarify here for our listeners, MDNA is the album that came out in 2012, following Hard Candy. And while we were saying Hard Candy was a commercial disappointment, it still featured her last top 10 hit. Whereas MDNA, which sort of found her returning to more of like a, an electronic dance sound after working with Timberland and Pharrell, she worked with like more straightforward dance producers like Benny Benaz and Martin Solveig, who were hot EDM producers at the time, and really became her first album that had zero hits. It was really the beginning of, like, the major, major, major commercial slide. So I just wanted to make sure that that was clear for everybody. Yeah, I could, like, whittle out, like, an eight, out a, a strong eight-track album from MDNA. Like, I I'm think. Addicted was a decent fun. I'm Addicted, uh-huh. absolutely. Love, Love Spent, uh-huh. I think is great. All right. Okay, maybe I need um, to go back and listen to MDNA again. But I guess what I'm saying is that we've never had that feeling since Confessions that she was in complete control of what she was doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the electricity just, like, coming out of her. And it's like, okay, like, she needs to make this record. That makes sense. It's always, it's it's ever since, ever since Confessions felt like, all right, she doesn't really have that much to say, but she's gotta do something so is it that she doesn't do ha- is, it, is that she doesn't have that much to say or is it that like what yeah. we would actually I think she want, doesn't have- you think she doesn't have that much to say because i i've always i've always wondered like uh like is it that she doesn't have anything interesting to say or is it that what we would be interested in i.e some truths about her she's not interested in saying she's mostly just interested in having a hit that's what she wants I don't know. I mean, I feel like Rebel Heart in its most deluxe version had like 25 songs and there's not a damn thing said on any Nothing. of them. Nothing. Nada. She she really could have taken the time if she had something to say to say it in one of those bonus tracks or an album. Even just cut. one song. Even just one. One song. Just <laughs> a, like an interesting thing. And there's really nothing on that record. So to me, like Rebel Heart was the true nail in the coffin MDNA, like, people were mad that she was doing uh, EDM at the time. I think Dead Mouse like, dragged her or whatever. And it's like, okay, dude, like, this is her turf starting at the beginning of her career. It's just that this is where dance music has evolved to. You do realize that, like, Madonna was literally making electronic dance music in 1982. It was literally electronic. Right, so- except except at that time, it felt like she was on the vanguard of something. Whereas, like, when it came to MDNA, it felt like, okay, I hear a song like Girls Gone Wild. I'm like, that's a catch song. Yes, absolutely. And it's like 
only made for to be played at like Barracuda. Right. You know, you <laughs> like that's just one of those tracks that's like a drag. It's like it's like a share song. It's like it's like a song off of the the Believe album, you know, and everything else from Share since that. It's like okay, drag queens and gay guys at bars will like this music, and that's right, it. right. But did we ever count on Share to be a musical innovator in the way that we came to expect from Madonna? Well, I, I see. I don't feel like Madonna is an innovator. I feel like Madonna is a very good at finding trends and making them make sense on a on a global scale and adding her own thing too like the, her voice whether you know via literally or her writing is so crucial to her music it's not just like she was a trend chaser and like new jack swing is great let's do a new jack swing record mm. in 94 which was really late to be doing a new jack swing record i mean there is some there was always something to her but like i don't think like maybe justify my love you could say is like a weird fucking song but in general she was following you know she was following forms that were like really if not like if they hadn't broken yet they were just under the surface right. you know to like to hook up with nelly hooper and have him make you a bjork song for anybody who got their music news and were listening to anything beyond what was on the radio was a pretty obvious move. I mean, like I was a teenager when that happened and I had loved Bjork then too. And it was like, yeah, she's awesome. If I had the wherewithal and career to make a pop music, I would copy off of Bjork too. Right, you know? right, right. So do you feel as though Madonna is perceived as an innovator in a way that's sort of overrated or not exactly true? Yes, I would say so. I would I, even, you know, even Ray of Light, no offense, whatever. You know, I when that album came out, I was like, I've heard this from Paul Van Dyke. I've heard this mm. from Paul Oakenfold. I've, I've heard this, you know, and I'm talking about like the really up-tempo, you know, trancey songs. You know, uh, Frozen, I think, is a pretty weird song. It's it, it's kind of trip-hoppy in a way, but the way that the breaks kind of like flutter in and out of the chorus, I hadn't really heard before, but it's just sort of... You know, here and there, there are musical ideas that I haven't heard before per se, but a lot of it is sort of an extension of what was already going on. She's just kind of a curator. Right. I guess what I'm thinking about as you're talking is there's echelons of innovation in pop. Like you are, yeah. you, it, you know, it's like she's an innovator in her upper echelon, I guess would be like a more accurate description of what right. she does. She's a yeah, risk. She's not Prince. Right. She's not going to give you a sound you've never right, heard exactly. before. Exactly. She's not Prince. She's not, or and, and she's not Bjork. And she's not MIA or whoever you want to talk to who are like. Kate Bush. Yeah, Kate Bush. It's like, so, um, but she is a risk taker in her echelon in terms of like, yes, Ray of Light, if you are plugged into the dance music trends that she was drawing on, or yes, Vogue, if you were plugged into you know, that that strain of house music and, and ball culture, you would know about that. But in her echelon of pop, she was she was the first to sort of like bring those elements in. So that's an in that's innovation in a sense, you know? It's kind of like a full package innovation as opposed to a sonic innovation. I don't think that there was much sonic innovation, but I do think that she did things in that sphere that no one had done before and you know, her audacity is impressive. Right. And I, I guess some of the things that we're talking about now in terms of her, like, lacking innovation is, like, okay, yes, we could say that, like, maybe she is overrated in some ways as an innovator. But when you hear a record like Hard Candy, or you hear a record like MDNA, or you hear, like, the Diplo sounds on Rebel Heart, and again, just to sort of position us all here for a second, Rebel Heart is the album after MDNA, which came out in 2015 and featured her working with a lot of sort of like the hot EDM and hip hop producers of the moment, including Diplo and Symbolic One, who was working with Kanye. It was like a real sort of list of producers with sounds that were all over pop uh, you know, beyond Madonna, it was not like that. She, she, she was working with like sort of the hot producers of the moment, and it showed. It's not Jay Z and Beyonce. It's not Nicki or Little Wayne. It's not Oprah and Obama, the Pope and Rihanna, Queen Elizabeth or Kanye. It's not pentagrams or witchcraft. It's not triangles or stacks of cash. Black magic or Gaga, Gucci or Prada, riding on the golden cat. I'll see. Eyes watching tonight. That's what it is. You don't even hear a top and an, an upper echelon. I mean, like, there's there's nothing interesting going on musically, even like slightly on those songs. They're so trendy. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And that was one thread that she clearly lost at that point. It's also really important to like keep in mind that, you know, when the aughts came, divas were just flopping left and right. You know, American Life flopped, Just Whitney flopped, Charm Bracelet flopped after Glitter had flopped, Tony Braxton flopped. Right. And, you know, so it was out with these like very well established persona divas and in with the kind of like, you know, blandness of Jennifer Lopez and Sierra. And and I think Jennifer Lopez and Sierra have made wonderful records. Yes. And I think in retrospect, they, they do have personas. But certainly at first, it was just like, there are these girls who are not really singing that well. They're taking up all of the space. Right. What is going on here? It was kind of a shock to see how little was being accepted as enough. I agree. And also, like, that really was an era where, like, the sort of, like, ultra drag aspect of pop was really, like, mitigated by sort of sex, like, simple sexiness. And, like, um, yeah, like, that was personified by Jennifer Lopez and personified by Britney at her peak and sort of, like, that that it, it became, like, about being, like, an all-American kind of, like, girl as opposed to being sort of, like, a, uh, uh, like a, like a larger-than-life presentation. And that was actually... Totally. I think the Lady Gaga Madonna connection is so overrated, but I do think that that was one of the th- the good things that Lady Gaga reinvigorated when she arrived in the late two th- in whenever she came out, which was like bringing back that element of like pop star as like a drag clown. I totally agree, and I think also if we're talking about Hard Candy era, one of Madonna's greatest mishaps was to be so shady to Lady Gaga. Oh, God. If she had put, I mean, like it created this war between the fans. Gaga was obviously going to win it because she was new and she had considerable chops, huge out the gate, uh, can sing her ass off, Mm -hmm. can write a hook, can play the piano. She's the person that you want on your side. If if Madonna had been cool to Lady Gaga, I think her career might have gone an entirely different way. Uh. And her inability to see that is re- I mean, she dug her own grave there. She really did. So that was her undoing of her own accord. And it's because like you said, she has this obsession with being the center when it's like, you had such a good run. It, you, be nice to this person and she'll help you have more well, attention. Listen, you can, and also you can collaborate with her. Also, I, this brings me to like what I want. Another thing I want to ask you about, which is the Instagram. I mean, it's, I think we can't sort of escape talking about later era Madonna without talking about sort of like the, what she's doing every day on social media uh, and how kind of like endlessly cringy it feels. So when she, I mean, I, I remember writing a post on Gawker when her Instagram debuted because the pictures of her on it were so bad that I was like, it's, it's amazing that Madonna's like so free of vanity that she's just posting these pictures of herself. But then it turned out that that wasn't really the case. It wasn't some kind of send up or whatever. It was just a dysmorphic thing. It was like, she couldn't even like see what she looked like and was and I think it's I think it's again it's part of the whole like well you love me so I can just do whatever and and look that worked in truth or dare she's an utter asshole I love that movie I think it's the gold standard of the rock doc I wish you know every but, time somebody comes out with one right I mean but she's so magnetic in that movie she I mean, is but she might be an asshole but you literally can't take your eyes off her which is not what you say about the Instagram no it's not but I do think that she for many years got away with doing whatever the fuck she wanted. And it, it, you know, through sheer saturation alone, people got sick of it. Right. And so then she's like, get a load of me. I can do whatever I want. I'm Madonna. And people are like, not here for it, babe. Is, is it almost like, is it almost like at a certain point and like her run being longer than most, it's like your time comes as a pop musician. Yes. And it's like, what do you do then? You know what I mean? Like, and I, and you wrote a great piece when yeah. Janet's Unbreakable came out because I do think Janet is an interesting foil to Madonna in many ways. She's a peer and they operate in a lot of the same spaces. And Janet's an example of someone else who spent a number of albums. And again, Janet's trajectory is different because of the Super Bowl incident and because she's yes. a black woman and insert everything else here. Um, totally. But... Janet was somebody who, similarly to Madonna, although I happen to enjoy the later period Janet attempts at being relevant more than I enjoy Madonna's, like I would take discipline over like 
MDNA or whatever. Um, I like, I mean, I legitimately like half of 20 Y. Yeah. There's some gems on there. I mean, I love, I, I would say I love to meet a Joe. Love to meet a Joe. I could say I, I love that album. <laughs> love to meet a Joe. So like, so absolutely. I think we can totally. all agree but that Janet's to meet a Joe it- would have been a fucking smash hit record if it wasn't for the goddamn Super Bowl. Well, I think I want you would have at least gone top twenty. Yes, and also and all like, night, and she could have gotten another one out of all night. All yeah, night. It, 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 all night is a, a but a also classic. my baby. Yes. And, oh my god. You know. Yes. But uh, truly, also like could have been an R and B hit. I mean, like there's there is stuff on that record. It was mishandled. Yes, mishandled sonically of a piece with All For You, which was a huge record. And also, it's c- very clear that the Super Bowl and that fallout from that prevented that album from being successful. She was... 100%. So, so insert... She's done dirty. It's so dirty. And it's it's an important topic for another day. But my point is that when Janet's most recent record came out, Unbreakable, in 2015, you wrote a piece about it that was so prescient. And what you pointed out was that she just fucking chilled the fuck out and like made an album that was like personal, quiet, clearly what she wanted to make at the time, like emotionally intimate. And it wasn't like it was a smash hit success, but like it was a success in like, how do, how does a late 40s, early 50s into 60s female pop star handle the fact that yes, you were once the biggest artist in the world and that that's never happening again. And in a way, we've right. never and gotten to that place with Madonna and we've just never gotten there. We, we have it. And, and, and keep in mind too, the, the particular conundrum of these artists is that you know, they come from a world of dance pop. Ne- neither Madonna nor Janet nor any of their descendants for the most part, have voices that are going to mature into mature people's music. You know, you're, you're not going to right, see... Right, like Beyonce is the kind of voice where it's like she could mature into doing... A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like, Madonna, like, like catch... Beyonce could make like gospel albums and like adult contemporary <laughs> albums if she wanted Exactly, to. Yeah. exactly. Right. Beyonce could do a soul throwback album that would make total sense to everybody's ears, whereas Madonna and Janet are not going to be singing this, the Great American Songbook. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it just wouldn't make sense. It just, no, I, I mean, I don't want to hear that. I really hope yeah. not. <laughs> so, so like, so it just seemed to me like, you know, Janet clearly thought like well i am sitting on a pile of money i don't need this record to sell you know to go diamond in order to feed myself and the baby that i'm about to have weirdly nor will it you know nor 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 will will it it. So, so so how do i express myself where i am now and i think that is the biggest problem with madonna's career is that you know the clout chasing the hit chasing you know that you know having a ballad with Sway Lee and doing that thing. I mean, the, you know, the the future of that song is just like, why are you doing this? Not everyone is coming to the future. Not everyone is learning from the past. Not everyone can come into the future. Not everyone that's here is gonna last. Not everyone is coming to the future. Not everyone is coming from the past. Okay, I mean, we can take a moment on Madame X if we have to, which is, oh, I just want to, an album I just deeply, deeply, deeply do just, not enjoy and find actually quite hard to listen to. Because it, she's so, it's so, like, tightly wound and constricted in the way her vocals come out, in, like, these, the, the ideas that she's trying to, like, convey to us in these clunky ways, the fussy production choices, like, it's so... It you I it's like the reason I bring up Janet is it's just like girl chill like I genuinely wonder what it would sound like to get a record from a genuinely chilled out and relaxed Madonna in 2021 like what would that be if like? she you know if she can relax like what does even relaxing look like for Madonna right. <laughs> I don't know I I just think that like at a certain point like you know like do an MDNA and and try it out again. But, you know, after Hard Candy was obviously a disappointment and then MDNA flopped, I don't understand why she didn't just, like, start doing, like, art shit. Like, right. You can do you whatever know, you want, as you were get, saying. Exactly. Get Brian Eno on the phone. Work with Twigs. How, like, also, like, even, like, MIA, like, I don't really want to hear Madonna doing Galang. Oh, my God, please, but no. You, you, like, you, you hire... MIA to do the most basic fucking song. It's like, 
why why like right. why why isn't MIA producing that you know why isn't she coming with her ideas for this I just so, I'm just like I don't even think MIA would be the collaborator like at this point we need we but, should need, she, but I think Brian Eno is like actually a pretty interesting thought but you know there's so much and it's just like I don't I don't know as somebody who is like obsessed with the art world as Madonna has you know implied that she is why hasn't she taken a turn toward just making like art music you know yeah uh it's, it's like every artist's be, dream <laughs> to be that free. It, you know, like, I mean, I mean like, I, I don't like, I, I like more, re- more recent Madonna music than I like Bjork music, but I would rather see Madonna take that career path of making like really obtuse shit um, that at least it's like, okay, well, you know, y- you know that she had that in her, like she definitely wants to be doing this. I don't want to listen to it, but she wants to be doing it. Whereas like the current incarnation is like palpable desperation. I think. Right. And Madame X is also interesting in the context of this particular conversation, because it was certainly a weird album, but like not in the enjoyable way. It's weird for weird sake. I mean, I think dark ballet is the Nadir when it goes yeah. into that. Is that the disco Tchaikovsky one? Yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was reading, no, reading your no, review. No, the, oh. um, the disco one is, is, uh, God control. God control, God control, God. Oh, God. Which is like which is also like I mean it's actually so so like the big the big thing for me with that record that I found really offensive is that she's like adopting social justice as drag and for her for her to be doing this song about gun control in 2019 saying this is your wake up call. <sighs> well, I'm sure that's really good for people who get their news through Madonna albums. But for the rest of us, we've we've had our wake up call. We're we we're aware we've been aware of this Madonna. Like I don't need you on gun control saying the most obvious fucking shit. It was like it was it was very resistance mommy. Resistance mommy. <laughs> she go with it. This is your wake up call. Unlike your nightmare, I'm here to start your day. This is your wake up call. We And yeah, and it's like it's like everything I learned about social justice I learned by watching people on Twitter. It's fucking embarrassing. I agree. It's like I agree. it was, it was like e- nobody's even like nobody's even clocking her for that. Like nobody even wants you to be. You don't need to say anything about that. So in a way, that is like her Twitter album. It's like uh, like I don't have anything to say, but I feel really obligated to say something. So here's Madame X, and I'm wearing an eye patch. Right. <laughs> I I I always just felt like. I mean, I know you feel like she doesn't have anything to say, but I'd be curious to like know about her life. I, I'm I, I feel like yeah. that was one thing that yeah. I missed a lot about on her last run of albums is like at least on Ray of Light and on music, there was you were getting a a world uh, view into a middle aged pop star rich woman's life it was interesting on a certain level like, even, even miles away yes and like and you were getting like while it might have been clunky and self-indulgent and there was all the weird yoga shit and all that kind of stuff at least you were getting something that felt honest i feel like there's something almost just so arm's length about everything she's done recently and, and madame x being another one where it's like yeah she's more comfortable sort of like sloganeering about gun control than she would be about sort of like letting us into like what is it what 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 is it like to be a 60-year-old pop star? And there's so much there yeah. that we're being deprived of. And not to mention, she's paved the way so many different times for women in this genre. Um, and she proved with Ray of Light that there is a path forward for being a middle-aged woman in pop that people could potentially be interested in. And I think it's a template that Beyonce has followed. There's a lot of people you can point to that have like taken that seriously. It's like, okay, I can be a mother. I can be someone's wife and I can still make interesting, truthful pop music about who I am at whatever phase I am in my life and people want to hear it and it can be a fucking hit. And she's completely abdicated that in the latter part of her career. And, you know, for all she's talked about in, in press cycles, both um, uh, both uh, Madame X and um, Rebel Heart and maybe even before about ageism she's never sang about it I've never seen how that's played out I mean what what's it like fucking a 25 year old guy when you're 25 versus like 65 I need to know I mean come on or anything with just even like a kernel of truth about you right so it's it's just it's rough it's rough 
All right, so that was a journey. The last 15 years have been rough, but I think it's good for us to finish this conversation by sort of circling back to Madonna's greater legacy and all the good that she has done. So normally at this point in the conversation, we debate where these artists are in the particular tiers of the pantheon. With Madonna, that's not debatable. I mean, she is right. she's tier one. She is the tier one artist. I, I, and so in lieu of that, I, I guess I want to ask... You know, this sounds weird given that we've spent a lot of time just now focused on, like, you know, a really hard, rough patch in her career. But let's just refresh the audience. Madonna's work and legacy is so important and indelible. And we only struggle so much, I think, with this last era because we know what Madonna's capable of and what she would still be capable of even at this advanced stage in her career in terms of delivering you know, the amazing groundbreaking work that she had for the 25 years preceding it. So is Madonna the most important female pop star of all time? And is she the most important pop star of all time? I mean, probably. Uh, You know, it's really hard to say vis-a-vis what we just talked about with her legacy, you know, at a certain point. Okay, so here's like my thought on this. This is the sad truth that eventual irrelevance is quite unfortunately a product of successful iconoclasm. You know, Madonna changed the world so much that you can't even feel Mm. her change anymore. Right, right. Like it's so So, baked in the cake of every single pop star that's come after her that like... That it's invisible. Right, right, right. Same with Janet. So like... Absolutely. You know what? Who also this like really goes for? R.E.M. R.E.M. totally changed music. Mm. And now you go back and listen to like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s R.E.M. albums and they sound... Uh, kind of in turn, just sonically kind of basic. And it's right. like, oh, no, no, this was like radical, actually. It's just that you can't tell because then everybody did that. Right. And Madonna is so that on like such a huge level. Like, I just think about like the very concepts that we think of in terms of pop stardom, like whether it's the reinvention discussion or it's whether it's the way that tours look, whether tours. it's a to- right? 100% like, the tours. Um, uh, the way we think of pop music as like an amalgam of many genres or whether it's like pulling from underground genres and mainstreaming them. I mean, she really is the inventor of so much of basically what we think of as pop stardom. I mean, it's her, Michael, and Prince, I guess. Yes. Yeah. More or less. Yeah, and, and and the idea that pop music, that commercialism could be art, um, you know, obviously... Right, that commercialism. Andy Warhol was doing that, but uh, but it, just in terms of music, there you know, there were very few people that were kind of doing it as overtly and as successfully. I mean, it's like if one thing to, like, strive for commercialism in your art, that happens to be music, but it's another thing to, like, be that commercial and that artful as she was early on. Do you think that... Madonna's, this is two-pronged. Do you think that Madonna's status as the most important pop star of all time or or one of the top three, let's say most important pop stars of all time, how much of that is like luck or being in the right place at the right time or how much of that is something that is essential about her? I think like the most essential thing about her is that she's taken every opportunity and walked through every door quite savvily. Mm. So I don't think that you can like detach them. You know, I think like her gift is to capitalize on that good fortune and again and again and again, you know, um, right. You just there's, would you say that like her ability to sort of grasp and take hold of opportunity is the a number one secret six to her yeah, success? I think so. I think that, yeah. And, and, and to do it to like without flinching, you know what I mean? Yeah. To the, the, you can the kinda, confidence, the confidence. These days, you kind of feel the 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 bodily stammer coming out as she's like releasing something. Back right. in the day, it was just like effortless. It felt like yeah, and 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 I think it's so funny because she's so calculated. You know, she's so in a way like she so much thought went into all of that. But I, there was there's something about her versus so many other pop stars that have come after her, which is that like it did all feel that it emanated from her inspiration. And like and like she just had a like she was very connected to some sort of like 
I don't know what even to call it. I, 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 I say inspiration. I don't know what the right word would be, but she just was self-possessed about like what she knew needed to happen for her career. And I guess for pop writ large. And she just followed that muse in a way that like was so, con- as you were saying, so confident, so self-possessed uh, that like really sold it in a way that like, I don't feel like I get that from most pop stars. And I think that like, yeah. that's another big piece of like, what we loved about her and then also what I feel like we're missing at this point is that connection. Yeah. The audacity and the brashness were the aesthetic really. And her editorial eye, I think is the other one. Like she is the ultimate editor in chief, which is something that I sort of actually think ties her and Beyonce together in the sense of Beyonce also is not sitting down and like plucking out a song on the guitar, uh, but she is good. One of Beyonce's gifts is going like this. I, I want what you have. I want what you have. I want what you have. And her ability to really like see the big picture and put it together in that way. And I think yeah. that's something that Madonna is her is her like uh, spiritual pop mommy in that way. If you know what I mean? Like that was Madonna's gift as well. It was the connection to the muse, the ballsiness, the grit the the determination and like the the eye for what was cool and how to put all of that together yep what a complicated figure i mean there's she's so she's so multifaceted and it's like you know i want her to win I, i struggle so much with like the clunky like like everything we're talking about here and everything we were talking about in our previous segment about her latter period output it's hard for me to watch this because I have so much respect for her and I really do believe she deserves her position at the top of this pecking order and I hate to see the way that she is tarnishing people's memory of the great work and things that she did it's really I struggle with that a lot yeah I mean it's it's really tough because you have to just wonder what she could do at this point besides just making dazzling art you know and uh, maybe she's capable of it. I don't know. I've noticed just in recent years, just in interviews, there seems to be a weird disconnect. I have always felt like the interview has been like an art no form for her. <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally and, and arguably the thing that she is absolutely the best at, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, just so charming, Funny, and witty, quick, and, quick yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just incredible. And, and lately it's just like, there's like a wall built up and it's like, what is going on with her? Well, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't even begin to theorize. Well, but. well, to throw her a bone, we, you know, cause we, 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 we've, we've armchaired psychology to her and she deserves it, but to throw her a bone, it's so hard and I, this is cliche, but being an aging woman in the center of pop culture, I, you know, my heart goes out to her in a certain way because I'm yeah. kind of just like, that can't be easy to have your whole life centered around this iconography of you as this young girl in the wedding dress or you in Vogue or you in whatever, even in, as like the hot young mom. Like that's like yeah. the, that's, you know, you were all of those things and now you're not, you can't move like you used to. People don't care like they used to. That shit fucks with your brain. Like it's not, I guess what's hard is that she's paved the way through difficult terrain before so many times. She opened doors and paved a way for so many different phases of these, of a woman's career in pop successfully. And she's sort of abdicated that. And in this later period. I think that that's sort of the thing that I sort of brace against with later period Madonna is like she stopped trying to find a way to like make who she truly was now something that would be of interest to us as pop fans. And I think that's truly the thing that I've ultimately struggled the most with in this part of her career, I guess. She's definitely dropped the ball. It's... um... (laughs) I mean, I, I would. It's astonishing, astonishing. That someone could to to this extent. Really, it's astonishing. I, and then on the other end, it's astonishing that she carried it on for as far as she did. It's true. You know, it's true. It's almost she, like she she said she was a victim of the own expectations she created for herself in a way. 
It, as is the case with so many icons. Exactly, exactly. Rich, this was so great. Thank you so much for doing this with me. This was cathartic, I think. Thank you. And I would like to bring us out on a song from Ray of Light that I think really represents something so amazing that Madonna did, which was take her experiences as a middle-aged woman, as a mother, and turn it into some fabulous pop music that was so radical in terms of what I was talking about and proves that you can talk about anything in pop as long as the music and authenticity is there. Rich, thank you so, so much again. Thank you for having me, Louie. When I was very young Nothing really mattered to me But making myself happy I was the only one Now that I am grown Everything's changed I'll never Wow, that was quite a convo, and obviously Madonna, they don't call her the queen of fucking pop for nothing. She is tier one, she's the reason tier one exists, so the quote-unquote judgment is rendered, but it's not even for me to judge. Madonna is the pop pantheon. One thing I'm walking away from this conversation feeling like is she personifies tier one for all the reasons we talked about, but also because one thing I often say about tier one is when you're there, you can fuck up a lot and it can't really affect your position in the pantheon because that's how great your legacy is. That's how impactful what you've done is. There's nothing you could do to, to move out of that tier. And I think Madonna in so many ways and everything we talked about on this episode just proves that point. Madonna has made a series of missteps over the last almost 15 years. And yet it has zero effect, at least to me, and I think to culture writ large on the trail she blazed, the achievements she garnered in her career, they're astounding. And they're evident in every single person in the pop pantheon. And I have so much respect for her. And I wish she would let me A&R her next album. Maybe she can hire Rich and I to do that. Thank you so much to Rich Doswiak. I have to tell you, Rich is such a fabulous writer that I've been reading since, you know, over a decade. And he's one of the people that made me want to engage with pop music in this way, reading what he's written over the last, you know, period of years. So it was a real trip for me to have him on and I'm so, so honored. So thank you again to Rich. Please go follow us on Instagram at Pop Pantheon Pod. Follow me on Instagram at DJ Louie XIV and also on Twitter at DJ Louie XIV. Hit five stars, hit subscribe, leave a review. Tell us what you think about Madonna's legacy. And maybe if you liked MDNA, let's hear about it in the uh, comment section on Apple Music. And yeah, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful weekend. Goodbye.